see you today. Man, what an awesome opportunity we have to worship the Lord together in this moment. Man, I just, if no one's told you yet today, man, you are awesome. I love you so much. Such an honor to be your pastor and just to do life together. And if you got your Bibles, you want to open them up with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be getting into the next part of our series. And But while you're doing that and getting kind of all the things together, I want to make sure and bring your attention to something that is happening that is brand new here at RLC. And that is coming up tomorrow is the first real women's event. And yeah, I know, it's exciting, it's exciting, but even more exciting is March the 4th, we've got the real men's event, all right? <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. No, um, so here, here's the thing. I want to make sure you know what's going on so that you kind of can, can understand because we've had a couple of questions. Make sure that you look inside your worship guide to get all the details on this and want to make sure that you know what's happening, and that is that these are not life groups. That's the big question is people are saying, is this a life group, and uh, what if I'm already in a life group? Well, I want to kind of answer two questions, and that is, first of all, it is not a life group. It is, it is an event. Just like you don't have to be in a life group to come to Sunday morning worship experiences, you don't have to be in a life group to come to this. It is for every lady in our church that would like to just learn what it is to be around other uh, sisters in Christ and learning what it is to be a woman of God and all of that. And that, that begins tomorrow night on February the 20th. Same thing with the guys. You don't have to be in a life group to come. It is a ministry event that is intended just to be around other brothers in Christ and to learn what it means to be a man of God. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and make sure you make plans to be here. I would love for everybody to attend these so you can just become part of uh, what God is doing in our church. But I need you to do one favor for me, and that is in your worship guide on that, that announcement sheet, there is a QR code. We would love for you to register for this. It doesn't cost anything to you. We just want to make sure that we have plenty of food. Uh, the ladies are having child care. Make sure that we got plenty of that. We just want to make sure that we can host you well. So if you are thinking about coming, please let us know so we can have enough for you and make sure it's all good to go. And if you uh, do not do the QR code thing, like if that's not your thing, stop by the Welcome Center and let us know that you're coming so we can make sure we get an accurate count. And also, if you have any additional questions, okay, you can stop there and give that information, okay? Amen? All right, now, we're going to get into Matthew chapter 5, going to be reading verses 21 through 26, and so today is one of those days, if you do not have a Bible journal, we've got a free one for you out in the Welcome Center, make sure you get this ready, absolutely, you can take notes on your phone, but the great thing about this thing is it doesn't have any notifications to distract you, and you can get this, because we're going to have a lot of extra notes today as we get into God's Word. And if this is your first time joining us, what we're doing is, is we're taking the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going all the way through it, and the way we're doing it is, is we're treating it kind of like you would a TV show, and that is we are sectioning it off into different seasons so that we can keep the main theme of what's going on. And what we did up until Christmas is we went through the first season, which was the first four chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, talking about the beginning. And kind of to catch you up in one statement, the first four chapters, if you don't know anything else about it, the one thing you can take away is that Jesus is the rightful king, and he came in power to rescue all of us. It's one of the things I love about the Gospel of Matthew. He just starts off at the very beginning, just being just right there in our face and say, Jesus is the king, and I got the receipts to prove it. And that's what all those genealogies were for was tracing back the line of Jesus. And then we see how he was born through miraculous means, and, he, and then he grew up. And then when we leave him in chapter 4, Jesus is going through the countryside. He's healing every kind of illness. He's casting out evil spirits, and he's collecting disciples. And I mean, it's just an amazing thing that's happening. 
But then as we turn the page from chapter 4 to chapter 5, Jesus seemingly slows down for a moment. And it's like, I've, you can see, he's like, i got a lot more things to do. i got a lot more healings to do. He's got a lot more miracles. He's going to walk on water a little bit later, which is going to be amazing. He's going to do all these other kinds. Of, so he's not done healing on the outside. But it's almost like he pauses to say, I've been touching your life on the outside. Now, can we talk about your soul? Can we heal you on the inside? Because for many of us, the greatest miracle that we need is not something that anybody else can see. But it's something that he wants to do on the inside of all of us. And so if I were to sum up what Jesus is telling us over chapters 5, 6, and 7, if you're taking notes, the big idea of this whole section is this. And that is that Jesus is telling us the foundation of the kingdom is an unshakable joy that grows from the bottom up. There's a, the kingdom of God, what he wants to do in all of our lives is he wants to establish an unshakable joy that can't be shaken by anything else around us. That's what joy is. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a decision and a state that we find ourselves in. And he wants to give us such an unshakable joy, but it grows from the bottom up. And that was so important in that, that first audience that would have heard this. We've been kind of identifying with them because really, you know, names and faces and, and, and situations change, but really people don't. And so us today, just like them back then, they would still be dealing with the same things we are dealing with now. It's like, like the first audience, we've been talking about, you know, having all the different external issues of social pressures and political pressures and spiritual confusion, and then all the normal things we all deal with on the inside. And, and what we were, have been learning is the idea that people in the first century, just like us today, everyone has a private battle that no one else knows about. Everybody in this room, the, the holiest, most amazing person you know, they have a private battle that nobody else knows about. And sometimes it's easy to see, like if they own a cat. That's their private battle that they need to, you know, <laughs> I'm only serious. It's fine. But some people, it's way down deep. They've learned to cope and to manage all of those private battles. And so you don't know. But Jesus knows. He knows you have a cat and you're not telling anybody. And so what he wants to do is he wants to heal us from the inside out. And he's going to do it over this long span of time. And what Jesus did in the, in the first part is he sets the attitudes of the kingdom. He's like, as I am healing you, this is what it's going to look like. And we call them the Beatitudes. He said, you know what it looks like when you're in my kingdom? Man, you're a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper. That you, you hunger and thirst after the right things. That your heart is pure. And you get to see me moving in your life. And, and then he said, you get to be salt and light. And the world around you, that you get to be a bringer of hope to everyone that you meet. And then last week, he kind of got a little controversial because what he said last week was he said, hey, for everybody out there that wants to add to, to my word and everybody out there that, that's kind of wanting me to redefine everything, can I go ahead and tell you that everything is founded on the word of God and that we believe that God's word is inspired and inerrant without falsehood and we build our lives right there. And so he was looking at all the different Pharisees and religious leaders and he's saying, all you guys, Y'all been doing it wrong. Let's start over and let's start with, with my word being the central focus and let's go from there. And so I couldn't help but wonder if I was one of those first century Jewish people, I'd have been looking around going, oh Lord, <laughs> he, he didn't mind just telling everybody exactly what to do. And so like, like really my question would have been, wow, Jesus, he don't mess around. <laughs> Who's next? Get them, Jesus. <laughs> That'd have been, uh, yeah, go, go get whoever else. Like you just told all the religious leaders, set them straight, set somebody else straight. 
And, you know, whoever, whoever's like the biggest villain in the room and whoever could have the most change, go get them. And I wonder if maybe they've been like, maybe the Romans. You know, if, if you were a Jewish person in the first century, the, the Romans were the boogeymen. Like, th- those are the bad guys. Like, if, if you need to go attack anybody, Jesus, if you need to fix anybody, go fix the Romans. Because those guys are mean and brutal and selfish and self-centered and whatever. Like, those are the meanest guys, and they could do the biggest good if you could just fix them. So sick them, Jesus. You know, that's kind of, that's where I would have been right there. And, and I don't know if maybe that's you, but I wonder even in our culture, maybe we have the same thing. Like, who, who are the Romans to you? Like, who are, who are the biggest baddies in the room that if God would just get a hold of them, if God would just fix them, they could stop doing the worst bad and they could start doing the greatest good? Like, like who is that person? And I almost wonder if Jesus is like, that's exactly what I had planned. I, I want to I get the biggest people in the room that, that have a tendency to do the worst bad, but I also have the ability to do the greatest good, and we're going to fix this. But one of the things that he is going to do is he's going to straighten out something that was in the culture at the time, and if we're honest, it's still in the culture today, and that is that we tend to look at people in two categories. We tend to, in our culture to see people really labeled as two different things, and that's victims and villains. Like, you know, other people say there's, there's sheep and there's wolves. Or as I say, woofs. I'm working on it. I said wolves, but it hurt me to say it that way because I have to try to make it. Whatever it is, you have, you have good people, you have bad people, there's nothing in between. Isn't that not what culture tends to tell us? And, and usually none of us in here are villains, right? None of us. That's everybody else. We're, we're the ones that want to identify right here. And so Jesus, if you could just fix those people, if you could just, just do that, then everything will be better. Well, here's the thing. That's exactly what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to fix everybody that sits in a seat of villainy, but you might be surprised where he starts. Because one of the greatest things about Jesus is Jesus knows us. And he has this this idea that he doesn't just want to heal us, but he also wants to heal through us. And so the way he wants to fix this world around us is absolutely he wants to talk to all the villains, and he wants to fix all the different things. But you might be surprised where he's going to start. And so I was thinking about this as I was thinking about that, that first audience. And I have to tell you, I would have wanted to leave right about this time because Jesus is going to get really, really real, but he's going to help us. And so what we're going to look at is he is going to do something that he's going to do starting and what we're going to read today. And over the next six weeks, what he's going to do is he's going to state a principle and then he's going to tell you what it looks like. Like, how do you do that? And then he's going to give us examples. So we're just going to follow what Jesus is telling us. So this, is the, this is the big idea principle from the Old Testament that I was trying to tell you. And now I want to tell you this is what it looks like. And then I'm going to give you some examples on how to do it. So, so let's kind of read it as, they, as we would if, if we were hearing him say it for the first time. Okay, Jesus has been tearing everybody up. He just got on to all of the religious leaders. And then he says, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, most people sitting or standing in that room, which, by the way, would have been really interesting because the way this was, Jesus was sitting, the audience was standing. One day, we're going to try that, okay? I'm going to have a seat right here, and y'all get to stand the whole time. That's, like, going to be my favorite thing, right? But not today. But notice, they're all kind of standing around, and you know, at this moment, you're feeling really good about yourself because I'm not that guy, Far as I know, I hadn't killed anybody. So at that point, you know, I can imagine going, I've already, he's already gotten mad at all the religious leaders, and, or, or at least he's already told them all off, and now he's like, hey, and listen, by the way, don't murder, and if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. I'm feeling really good about myself. Yes, I'm looking at all you Romans, all you people that slaughter people, all y'all need to listen real good. And then he says, but I say, and then you go, hey, wait, what? What's, what's the but? It's supposed to be like and, right? No, 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 but I say, okay, what's he going to say? If you are angry with someone and you are subject to judgment, 
If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Okay, Jesus, that's enough. No, no, no. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go be reconciled to that person. I don't want to. Don't worry about it. Then you get to come back and you get to sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge and he who will hand you over to an officer who will be, and you will be thrown into prison. That is not how I thought that was going to go. <laughs> I thought you were going to get on to all those other people, but rather what Jesus is actually doing is he is bringing everybody into the room and saying something quite profound because what he is actually telling us is this, and that is Jesus says that that unshakable joy that he wants to give all of us, it actually grows when we accept responsibility for the pain that we cause, that the greatest thing that we have is our unshakable joy, but it grows when we accept responsibility for the pain that we cause. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you made it to church today? Absolutely. You know, here, here's the thing. I, I just want to bring everybody in the room on this because let, let me go ahead and give a disclaimer and say that, that there's times when this doesn't, when, when you have to figure out what this looks like. But at every given time, it's always a good idea to take responsibility for what's yours. Because the reality of it is, is this. Okay, this is, this is absolutely profound. If you've never heard this before. Okay, you ready? Here it is. Loving Jesus is easy. Loving everybody else, it takes a minute. <laughs> It's not always so easy. I went ahead and put a whole bunch of underlines on there. You know why? It's because most of the time, the reason why I struggle with loving other people is because they're villains. <laughs> they, I'm this guy, except don't call me a victim. But look at me. I'm happy. I'm smiling. That's the villain over there. And you know what we have a tendency to do at church, and we need to do this, is we tend to not talk about those people. We talk a whole lot about these people. And we talk about how God wants to bring healing in your life, and God wants to help you find uh, all the great things, and that's awesome, and that's wonderful, and absolutely we need to keep talking about that. But it's also important for us to realize that Jesus is going to help us understand that really those two people are not as different as you think, that the reality is, is that the only thing that's different between those two guys is an eyebrow. <laughs> you know? And when you really look at it, here's the actual truth, and that is that you are a person with a complex history and a capacity to do and experience great good and terrible evil. The reality is, is sometimes you might sit in the sit seat of the victim, but many times we also can sit in seats of villainry as well. You know why? Because we're all broken. We all have a private battle that nobody else knows about, and sometimes somebody touches that broken place. They don't know. Maybe they do know. They're also villains. But sometimes they're going to touch that broken place, and instead of going, stop that, we do other things, you know, and we break them. And then we find ourselves in this place where now we're in this horrible moment, and sometimes we're the victim, and sometimes we're the villain. And what Jesus is saying is, I have great news for you, and that is that I want to grow an unshakable joy in you, and you get to find healing yourself. And what's even more amazing is you also get to bring healing to others as well. You get to be the minister of reconciliation, the minister of healing toward other people. And so we want to look at how he says. He's going to tell us what that looks like and then also what it looks like to walk in reconciliation together. And I just want to keep telling you this, that Jesus wants to heal you, and he also wants to heal through you as well. 
Now, make sure you also hear me disclaimer of about a thousand different things to say there are times when, yes, you were innocent. Yes, somebody did a bad thing to you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the 99 other times where you have some of that responsibility as well. And so we're not going to be a victim to any of that. Instead, we're going to let Jesus teach us how to walk in freedom and bring it to other people. He said it like this. He said, first of all, you have heard from that our ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. The reason why he needs to break that down for all of us, including myself, and why he needs to say, okay, this is what I said, this is what I meant, is because this, and that is that we tend to judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. So we look at other people and call them murderers and them hurt hurters and them villains, but we didn't mean it. They, they knew when we said that we didn't mean it, did they? We, they, they knew we were just having a bad day, did they? When, 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 when I left and abandoned them, they, they knew that I was going through a hard time, did they? Or did the end result be that they were judging you by your actions because that's all that they know how to do? And so what we're going to do is, is we're going to find that Jesus wants to heal us, but then he also wants to heal through us. And so he's going to break it down for us and tell us this, and that is that, that accepting responsibility grows joy because, number one, it opens my eyes to see the progression of offense. The reason why just taking responsibility for, for the things that I do in my life and then trusting that the Lord is going to move in other people to do things in their lives and in their, their areas is because when I start to see what happens in my life, I can then see the progression of offense that happens all over the place. God's word says in Ephesians to be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So in other words, we, we think about what we think about. We think about what we do so that we're able to walk in healing and also bring healing to other people as well. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show us the progression of offense. He says this. He says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of hell fires. He is actually showing us the progression of how an offense actually works. And this may not be the case for you, but I've seen this happen over and over in my life. And you know what happens many times when something goes, like, because you ask the question, how, how does you go from being angry to like talking about hell? Like, like how do you get there? Well, here, here's exactly how you get there. It starts off with the progression of offense. The first one is angry. And that's when you get frustra frustrated with the situation. There was a typo, by the way, that I did, not everybody else. And it was supposed to say situation instead of people on that one if you're taking analog notes. So the first thing that happens is he says, you know what happens is anger starts when you get frustrated with the situation. Now, that's important to realize. He said, if you are angry with someone, then you need to be careful. You're subject to judgment. In other words, that's the warning sign. Can I, get, can I tell you, and this maybe will help somebody here, and that is, it is not a sin to get angry. Like, like it's okay if somebody cuts you off in traffic and just pray that the Lord doesn't give them a flat tire, but, you know, <laughs> no. But, but to get, it's, it's, not a, it's not a sin to be angry. The, the, the problem is, what do you do with it? What do you do when that anger happens? What, how, how do you process it? What, what happens if you do that? So that's when he's saying, if, if you get angry with someone, be careful, because now you're subject to judgment. In other words, now you're teetering on something that happens. But what happens if you don't do something healthy with it? The next thing is he says, then you call someone an idiot, which means now you just get offended with people. That, that word idiot 
The Greek word means literally to call their character into question. They're empty. They're worthless. You're, you're not just mad at them. You, you are now pulling them down as a person. You're, you're now judging their character and who they are. You're, you're no longer frustrated, but now you're lashing out at that person. You're not just frustrated, but you're offended, and you're taking it out on somebody. And, and it goes from being angry to now you've got a grudge against somebody. Now all you can do is think about that person and what they did, where they did it, what happened, all of this, and it starts to slowly consume you. And then if you're not careful, what eventually happens is you curse them, which then you start to be, your, your bitterness starts to happen, not just for them, but now it starts to affect your relationship with the Lord. What I love about when Jesus said is he said, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That word fires of hell is actually the word Gehenna. And it was used as a term that meant like literally hell, but it was also a location. It was on the outside of Jerusalem and it was the garbage dump. They would, they would throw dead carcasses out there and they would, they would get rid of all kinds of garbage. They would put human excrement out there and some of the paganistic people would do human sacrifices out there. It was considered to be the worst place in the area. And what Jesus is saying is, is that if you let anger get out of control in your life, it will lead to an offense, which will lead to bitterness, and it leads to all the bad things that you don't want in your life. That eventually you're controlled by that. And I can't tell you how many times I have talked to people who say, Pastor, I have no idea why, but man, when I want to worship God, I feel like I can't feel God's presence. When I want to do to honor God with my life, I can't get past any of this. It just seems like there's something in the way. And sometimes as we get to talking about it, we start to find out there's an offense that began with a frustration that was never put into check, and then it starts to affect everything in their life. And now they're, they're wondering, what in the world happened? Well, it started as something that was not good, but not sinful, and it turned into something very dangerous. And the reason why that creates joy is because joy grows as I learn why hurting people hurt people. Joy grows as I begin to understand why hurting people hurt people. Because here's the reality, hurting people hurt people. I've had people come up and they've, they've asked me before, Pastor, why did that bad person do that bad thing? And I said, well, first of all, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know all the details and honestly, even knowing why doesn't excuse what they did. But what I can tell you is that hurting people hurt people. Broken people live their life with a broken mindset, and so they will break other people because of the pain that they experience. And so the reality is, is I'm not in any way trying to excuse whatever somebody did to you. I'm not trying to say it was right. I'm not saying that they don't need justice or whatever needs to happen in their life. But I can tell you why, and it's because they're hurting. It's because they're broken. And I understand that because I understand what God is doing in my life. And joy starts to grow when I don't just see a world full of victims and villains, but I see a world full of broken people that can have healing. And Jesus wants to heal me, but he also wants to heal through me as well. And so what happens when we get to that place? What happens when, when we're the one who said the thing, did the thing, whatever it was, and we realize that it's possible? Not, maybe not, not you, but your neighbor. It's possible that they might be the villain in the story. What do we do? Well, Jesus doesn't just leave us there, but he teaches us this, and that is that accepting responsibility grows joy because it opens my eyes to see the path to healing. One of the things I love about Jesus is, he, is everything that he will tell us about, he also provides us a path toward freedom in every area of our life. And he provides us a path toward healing. God's word says this. It says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. 
And so instead, what we learn is, is that when we realize that, that, yes, we have areas in our life where we have been wronged and bad things have happened to us, but we also have areas in our life that if we're, if we're honest because of the broken places and the private battles inside of us, we have also caused harm to other people, then first of all, we realize it's because of the hurt place inside of us. But then the great thing is, is that we have an opportunity to make it right. To not only find healing and freedom in ourselves, but bring healing to other people. And Jesus tells us exactly how. He says this. He says, so, if you find yourself in that place and you're presenting a sacrifice uh, at the altar at the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave the sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. He said, this is the path to healing. So I want to say this, if, if this is you, and you would say, yes, it's possible, maybe, maybe highly unlikely, but possible at some point, I may have done a bad thing, this is what he says to do. He said, first of all, I love how it starts with him. He said this, he said, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, and suddenly remember that someone has something against you, the first step is, is to bring it to the Lord. Bring it to God first. Bring it to God first. Everything starts with the Lord. Because what, what he's talking about is back during that time, one time a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, what they would do is all the Jewish people would go to the temple and they would offer a sacrifice before the Lord as a sacrificial offering to ask forgiveness for all their sins. That's eventually what Jesus was going to do once for all on the cross. But before that, they would have to go do that once a year. And what they were supposed to do is while, they're, while they were preparing for the, the priest to sacrifice uh, that, that, that offering, they were supposed to think about every single thing that they had done. If there was any sin, any issue in their life, they were supposed to think about it. And then what they were supposed to do is they were supposed to put their hands on that animal that's going to be sacrificed and would confess that sin, imparting it just symbolically to that animal and then let it be sacrificed. And so what Jesus is saying is, is he's saying, you know what you need to do is first of all, you need to bring that to me. Bring, come to me and say, God, is there anything in my life that was hurting you or is hurting someone else? Like, first of all, allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to your attention. Is there anything there that needs to be there? And it, it might look like something like this, and this is a very, very brave prayer to pray, but it would look something like this. God, is there anything in my life that is hurting you or hurting my neighbor? One of the most courageous things you could ever do is that you come to the Lord and you say, God, is there anything in my life that's hurting you? Now, that's a, that's a beautiful thing because what God wants you to do is he wants you to have more and more freedom in your life. And so it is a joy to come to the Lord and say, God, is there anything in my life that you want to get rid of? Because I know that when I get rid of that, that I get closer to you. But the courageous prayer is, God, is there anything that I have done that has hurt my neighbor? And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit only reveals something that he is ready to heal. So there's times that you'll go into prayer and you'll ask this and God won't reveal anything to you because number one is you may not be ready. Number two, the person that you need to talk to may not be ready. And so what you do is you constantly put it before the Lord. God, do I need to, do I need to bring healing to somebody else? Is there anyone in my life that, that I may not even realize that I may have done something to? Is there anyone that you want to heal through me today? And then what happens is, is he says, if you're doing that, if you start to pray that prayer, and all of a sudden, so-and-so comes to your mind, Whatever, whoever that is, now what? He said this. He said, if so, leave your sacrifice at the altar. In other words, he's saying, go do it on purpose. Go bring it to God. Then if he brings it to you, do something about it. Because what he was saying is, is where the temple was at the time, he's teaching in a place called Galilee, and Jerusalem is about three days away. 
So what he's saying is, he's saying if you are there and you're about to offer that sacrifice, you imagine, picture this moment. There's a line of people behind you. You've been waiting for hours. You had to go and buy the, the lamb you were going to use. You had to go get in line. You get up there and you're getting up there and you're going over your list. You've got to think of something. You're not entirely sure. Finally, you're the next guy up and you're there and you're trying to confess everything. And all of a sudden, you remember that person. You know what we want to do? It's okay, I'll talk to them later. And then you go and you do it and you take care of it and you just hope you remember. What Jesus said is it's so important. It's so important so that you can be free and so that your neighbor can be free. Is risk being awkward? Risk having to get out of line? Risk people looking at you funny and going, oh, he must be something wrong with him. Risk all of that, get out of line, travel three days to go and make it right with somebody else. Why? Because your freedom and their freedom is that important. And so you on purpose on purpose. Well, if you remember something, then you stop and you go to that person. And the third thing he said is, is go to them and go and be reconciled to that person. So we start with God. God, is there anything in my life that's hurting you or is hurting my neighbor? And then if he brings something to your attention, you don't, you don't just, just, just hope for the best and maybe I'll come across them sometime, but instead you start to pray, God, open a door for me to go talk to them. Help me to make this happen. You, it becomes a focus in your life. And then when it happens, you get in front of them, you make it specific and you make it personal. Because here's the difference. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, and that is forgiveness is between you and God. Reconciliation is between you and that person. So what you're doing is, is you're, you're having an honest conversation with them. And I want to kind of tell you what this looks like. And that is this. If you're in a situation where you go and you, you talk to somebody and you realize that, yes, yes, they, they had their part in that, in that conversation. Yes, they, they said some things they shouldn't have said as well. That's between them and the Lord. Because that's what forgiveness is between them and the Lord. That's forgiveness between you and the Lord. Reconciliation is where you are trying to bring peace, res, resolution, resolution to that situation. So what you don't do is you don't get there and you don't tell them that you're sorry for the situation. You're sorry for the culture that we find ourselves in. You're, you're, you're not sorry that both of us lost our heads. You know how we get. You, you know you said some things, but we ain't going to talk about that. We're going to talk about me. That's kind of passive-aggressive a little bit. And, and it feels really good. Can I just be honest? Being passive-aggressive is fun, all right? But it's also sinful as well, you know, because you're, you're trying to create uh, guilt. You're trying to be the Holy Spirit and create guilt in other people. The Holy Spirit is supposed to bring conviction, not us, right? But it's still fun to be like, hey, both of us made many mistakes. You know how I get. That's not what, that's not what reconciliation is. You know, it's not, it's not saying that we all played our parts. This is, this is what reconciliation looks like, and this is a hard thing to say. It looks like this. I was wrong. I am. <laughs> I am sorry for what I did. You know, whatever. It is what it is. There, there are no expectations. If it's within my ability to make things right, I will. That's what reconciliation looks like, is when you say, I was wrong, and not tell them that they were wrong too. That's between them and the Lord. I am sorry for what I did. There are no expectations. I don't expect us to be friends again. It might be better if we're not. I don't expect for us to ever go out to eat. It might be better if we don't. But if it's within my ability to make things right, I will. And then you know what you do is, Jesus says, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. In other words, then you put it back in God's hands. It begins and it ends with the Lord. Because what God wants to do is he wants to heal you, but he also wants to bring healing through you. And sometimes one of the greatest 
things that you can do in your life is to take responsibility for the pain that I sometimes cause and experience the joy of knowing, number one, that I I experienced this and then I, I take ownership of it so now I can see how hurting people hurt people. But then also, joy begins to grow when I see that God heals me so that I can bring healing to others. That I'm able to start seeing some of the greatest miracles you see won't happen in a church service. It'll ha- happen around coffee tables where you start getting real with one another. and You start saying, you know what? I did this bad thing. And if an opportunity comes, I'll tell you why it happened. But I just want to make sure that you and I are right. I want to make sure that I'm not hindering your relationship with God. One of the greatest miracles you'll see is reconciliation between two people because all of us have to realize that there are areas in our our life, yes, that bad things have happened to us, but because everyone has a private battle that nobody else knows about, on occasion, somebody messes with that private battle, and then we get angry, but then we get upset, and we get offended, and then bad things start to happen, and now the greatest act of freedom is when we own that. And we say, God's going to bring healing in my life, but then I'm going to be the instrument of healing to other people. And so joy grows in my heart when I'm able to take responsibility for the pain I cause, and I'm able to see why hurting people hurt people. It doesn't make what that other person did to me right. It does help me to see them for who they really are. Then joy grows in my life when I'm able to see that God didn't just say, hey, stop being angry. Good luck with that. But rather, he says, here's the progress, that it starts with me. Come bring everything to me, and I will show you who you need to talk to. And then I will put it, I will set the timing right. And then I'm going to be with you when you have that meeting with them. And then I'm going to be with you when you want to go into all the things that they did wrong. But you're not going to do that. Instead, you're going to talk about specifically what happened. And you're going to make that restitution. And then you know what's going to happen is when you come back again, you're going to experience freedom like you've never experienced before because you get to realize that not only does God want to bring healing in your life, but he wants to bring it in through you to other people as well. And then here's the last thing, and that is this, that accepting responsibility grows joy because it opens my eyes to see the time to begin is now. The time to begin this process is now. One of the greatest things in the world is that God's word shines lights into areas that we're blind to. He helps us to see the areas where we need freedom. He says it like this. He says, when you are on your way to court, with your adversary. Settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. What Jesus is saying is, is that sometimes the last person to see that you need this is you. And so what will happen a lot of times is we'll say, you know what? No, I have a right to be offended. I have a right to hold that grudge. You don't know what they did to me. And so what I did back to them, they earned it. They deserved it. And I'm okay with it. And so, you know what? I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on messing with this. I'm going I'm to take them to court. And only to realize what happens is sometimes we get blinded by our pain. We get blinded by the hurt that has happened to us. And what happens is we get in that environment only to realize, no, we are wrong. And what happens is it gets worse and worse and worse until we're in a prison that nobody else can see. But we experience every single day because we don't have the joy. We don't have the goodness of God. We can't think about anything because that person keeps coming into our mind. And what the enemy has done is the enemy has taken another broken person and made them a villain in our life. And now we're in a prison that only we can see and experience. And so what Jesus is saying is, is let your pride go and be free. Which is so easy to say, but very difficult to do. That's why he says, don't, don't wait. Settle your differences 
as quickly as you possibly can. And the reason why is because God's word says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know why? Because the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The reason why a lot of people struggle to forgive others is because we think that to do a bad thing makes us a bad person. I can't admit that I'm wrong because if I'm wrong, maybe that means that I am wrong. That our identity becomes something that is never intended to be. God doesn't judge you by your worst moment. Maybe you need to stop doing that as well. But instead to realize that when we confess our sins to each other, it's not to embarrass each other. It's not to do any. You know why? It's because God doesn't like seeing you broken. And he doesn't like seeing other people broken. And so God, what he wants to do is he wants to heal you and heal through you as well. And you know why? It's because he wants your prayers of someone who is now free to be powerful and to produce wonderful results. You want God to answer your prayers? Walk in forgiveness. Walk in repentance toward others. Get before the Lord and say, God, is there anything that I've done to offend you? And even even as important as that, is there anything I've done to hurt my neighbor? And if so, I want you to open the door so at the right moment, I'm going to take a step through that door and I'm going to offer that opportunity for them to experience this. I'm going to be the instrument of healing in their life. And then I'm going to bring it back to you and worship you. One of the greatest things is joy grows when I start to realize I know what God can do. When I start to realize, I know what God can do. And so what I want to challenge everybody in here is to take a moment and say, I will pray for the opportunity to bring healing to who? Joy grows when when I start to see what God can do. So I'm going to pray for the opportunity to bring healing to your brother your sister, your co-worker, your parents, your spouse, your kids, your cousins. I don't know. I don't know. Can I tell you that in my life, I have had to walk this journey, and I wish I could tell you I've walked it perfectly. I haven't. There's been many, many times in my life that I have, I have wanted to walk this journey well, but I got to see this happen. And I was the one on the side that someone came and talked to. So I want to give you, as we get ready to end our service, I, wanna, I was real nervous about doing this. I've never told this story publicly, which, of course, now I've got everybody's attention. <laughs> um, but as I was getting this ready, I got to see this in action. And I wish I had a story for you that I did this, but someone did this to me. And I want to share with you what God may be getting ready to do in your life. And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask the Lord who you need to put in that blank today. Because joy grows when we accept responsibility. I'm going to change the names and things, but you'll get the idea. That is that we launched our church in February 5th of 2012. And a few months before we started our church, Someone started, a gentleman started coming and hanging out with us, and he quickly came, uh, stepped into a level of leadership at our church, and he was awesome. He was amazing. He's a people gatherer, fun to be around, always the life of the party. And man, I was so excited he was there because I was just, I was exhausted. And he just would just rally people, man. He'd get people excited about the Lord, and I just, he just, and like, he, came, he became my right hand man. I mean, he was awesome. And 
as soon as we had our very first church uh, service, I could tell something kind of shifted in my friend. And I was like, man, you okay? No, I'm good. I'm good. Lord is good. I was like, yes. And he was just so encouraging, you know, just to be around him. Two or three weeks went on. I started to notice things were still kind of changing. He's like, I don't know, something's up. Something's up. But man, God's good. God's good. I said, let's, let's keep going, man. It's going to be all right. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're just brand new, baby, little infant church here. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Well, about two months into our church, this gentleman came up to me after service, and he said, hey, man, the Lord spoke to me, and I need to tell you what he told me, and I'm excited about what God's going to do. I said, man, it's awesome. I'm ready. I needed some good news <laughs> because, man, we were a baby church, and everything's going wrong. And, uh, and he said, the Lord told me, we don't need to have church on Sunday mornings anymore. We need to just go, go out to the, the fields and pray and dance around campfires and dance with the angels. And we don't even have church on Sunday mornings anymore. Well, I wish I could tell you, well, praise the Lord. Um, I was having a bad day, so I was like, uh-uh, that's the dumbest thing. <laughs> and uh, I just knew immediately that's not what the Lord was saying to me. And, uh, but I offended him in that moment. And, uh, and I didn't mean to, but I just, I mean, you know. And he said, well, I've been talking to some people, and they, they think it's true. Oh, that's who you've been talking to. And I looked kind of past him, and literally like 90% of our entire team was standing at the door seeing how this interaction was going to go. And they could tell it wasn't going well. And so I stepped toward them to try to talk to them, and they all left. And he said, well, that's what we're going to do. And I'm out. And the next Sunday, we went from having everybody on our team to launch the church, and everything was good, to having myself, my wife, and about three other people. And when everybody else started to see the other people weren't there, people were like, you know, rats on a sinking ship. I'm out of here. So our church just went boom, boom, boom. Oh, we got down to about eight people in our auditorium on Sunday morning. And I blamed it on that guy. I said, man, I'm just trying to love Jesus. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to plant a church. And our, our church is a baby. I, like, we, we can't afford that kind of thing. How, how would you do that? Why would, why? Would, why? I, I get to learn what it meant for the first time to have a Judas in my life. He stabbed me in the back, twisted it, and left. And can I tell you, for a year, I couldn't say his name out loud. I wasn't as angry about what he did to me. I was angry about all the people that he had hurt. To this day, almost every one of those people on that team won't talk to me. They're embarrassed about what happened. And they, we can't bring re resolution. And I was so broken about what he did that for at least a year, I couldn't even say his name out loud. And God started to deal with me about what forgiveness was. And the reason why I talk so much about forgiveness is I've had to walk through so much of it myself and realize that forgiveness is not an emotion, it's a decision that you make. And so I, I still remember the first time I felt like the Lord wanted me to just to just to verbally release this person. And I couldn't even say his name out loud, which the Lord helped me realize that meant there was a problem. And, and so I said, okay, God, I don't want to, but as an act of obedience, I just say, I forgive this person. And I started to pray for them every day. And it took over a year before I could say their name without feeling like I was gonna get angry and it was this long process and I, I thought I was over it. I thought I was okay. Until about six years after that, this particular gentleman called me on the phone. I didn't answer it. He called me back and he called me back until about three times until I finally answered the phone and I say, hey man, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I would, I'd, like, I'd like for us to have some coffee. I need to talk to you about something. And I just said, man, respectfully, it took me a long time to get over you no, thank you. And I, I heard him start to choke up, and he said, man, can please, I'm begging you, can we have coffee? I said, sure, man, let's have coffee. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to go sit down with him, but I knew the coffee is, is of the Lord, and so at least God was going to have his way in that way. And, um, and so we get there, 
went to this Starbucks right over here, got a cup of coffee, and I, I'd be honest with you, I, I wasn't in a good place. All of a sudden, I realized I had walked in a certain amount of forgiveness, but I needed healing. I wasn't healed as much as I thought I was. And he looked at me, and he was nervous, and I just said, can I help you? And he just broke down, and he said, I am so sorry. I hurt you. I hurt this church. I was broken, but it was my fault. Will you forgive me? And I had already planned all the things I wanted to tell him. I wanted to tell him about the time when no one was there to help us set up, but my wife and I, one other person, we had to do it all by ourselves. I wanted to talk about the times I tried to have conversations with people and they wouldn't talk to me because of the lies that he had said. I wanted to talk about all those different things, but in that moment, I felt the presence of God on me like I hadn't felt in years, and I didn't care anymore. And I just, all I had the space to say was one thing. Yes, I want to release you of that. And we both cried, we hugged, and I was set free from a bondage of six years, of a broken place of six years, because somebody else had the courage to come to me. Now I'll tell you the rest of the story. We're, we're not friends. We're never going to go have coffee again. We're not going to eat. But we're not enemies anymore because of what the Lord has done. Who do you need to set free? They did their part. But what about yours? What if God wants to use you to bring healing to somebody else's life. It doesn't mean what they did was okay. That's between them and the Lord. But God wants to heal you, and he wants to bring healing through you. He wants you to be the instrument. Because what if, just like me, that person, they walked through the moments of forgiveness, and they have done all those different things, but there was still a hole there. There was still something they didn't even realize was there. God wants to use you to bring healing. And the reason why I can talk about forgiveness today wasn't because I did it well, but because I saw it modeled by an enemy who is no longer my enemy because of what they did. I have no idea what to tell you to do with this because for some of you, you've been holding on to this, this hurt for a long time. So I want to do something a little bit different today, and that is in just a moment when the band comes and, and they lead us in this song of worship. For some of us, we may not be able to say that person's name out loud. We may not be able to even think of that person right now, but the Lord only reveals what he intends to heal. So what I'm going to ask you to do is today, I don't want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for your neighbor. And I want you to pray for your neighbor to have such an encounter with the Lord that God will give them the courage to let that name back in. To, is this the time? when you need to do the right thing, when you need to have the courage to take the next step. We're gonna give you a moment in just a second to do that, but I also wanna to talk to maybe somebody else in here that you realize that you have, you have hurt somebody in your life, and that is the goodness of God. There's sin in your life. You don't have a relationship with the Lord, but you know you need it. You've tried everything else. Why not turn your life over to Jesus? It's the best decision you'll ever make. You're not going to be able to ask forgiveness like this without him. And he doesn't want you to do it by yourself. But with God, all things are possible. So don't try to do any of this kind of stuff if you don't have a relationship with Jesus first. But if you have a relationship with him, 
He wants to bring healing to you, and he wants to bring healing through you. And so if you're here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, I want to encourage you as the band starts to play in just a moment, as the people are going to be praying for one another and they're going to be just, just praying for their neighbor, that God would give them the courage to figure out what their next step is. I would love for you to take inside your worship God as a connect card and on the back of it as a, as a prayer that you can pray. And I want to encourage you to step out of your seat and come up front down here. Just do business with the Lord. Jesus went and died on a cross for you. Why don't you step out of your seat and walk up here for him? And if you'll do that, I'd love to pray with you. I would love just to support you as you pray that prayer of salvation and allow the Lord to be the Lord of your life. I had a chance to go to Asbury this past week. You know what I saw? I saw the fruit of repentance. That's what worship is. Is when you get truly free, then you worship. I heard people say they wanted to bring the worship from where they were back to their home churches. And I said, that's great, but that's really not what brings worship. Repentance is what brings worship. Because when you finally get free of whatever's been binding you up, you can't help yourself. You're going to worship the Lord. So I, I will be honest with you. I didn't pray that the Lord would bring worship back to Real Life Church. I prayed he would bring back prayer and repentance so that then times of refreshing could come. And this is how it begins. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you see us and you know us and you're not ashamed of us. And God, you're in love with us and you love us enough, God, to give us the dignity to walk in freedom and healing ourselves, but then also to be the instrument of healing to others. God, I know very well how hard it can be to ask the question, God, is there anyone in my life that I have brought pain to? And so, Lord, I trust that you, Holy Spirit, only reveal what you are ready to heal. And that, God, in just a moment, as we, as we pray for our neighbor, we just ask you, God, that if it's time, you'll reveal to us who we can bring healing to. And, God, if you don't bring anyone to our mind, we'll also know that it's time for us just to lean in further to you and that we trust it at the right time. You will lead us to freedom. And God, for everybody in this place, that today is their day. Today is the day of salvation for them. Today is gonna be their spiritual birthday. God, I pray for courage for them to take a step out of their situation, of their pain and their hurt, their grief, their not understanding, all those different things, all the lies the enemy wants to tell them. Lord, I pray that you will silence the voice of the enemy so the Holy Spirit, you can speak your love and your goodness to them. Help them to realize they've never been more loved than they are right now and that today is the day of salvation. We celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We stand with me all over the house this morning. I cannot tell you how excited I am about the idea of when we get real with the Lord and be the instrument of salvation to others. So as we sing this song of worship, I don't, I don't want you to touch anybody, nothing like that, but just right where you are, I just want you just to pray for your neighbor. God, I pray that whatever might be standing in the way, Lord, that you'll help them to see how they can be an instrument of salvation. And if you would like to give your heart to Jesus, I would love to meet you up here. I'd love just to pray over you as you say those words on that card, as you give your life to Jesus. Maybe today is your spiritual birthday. Let's worship the Lord together.